You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Brandon Blewett. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, June 12, 2023. In today's feature report, Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin provides updates on the city's plans to relocate Bloomington Police Headquarters to the Showers Building and the redevelopment of the Hopewell neighborhood. More in today's feature report. Anytime somebody says MLK, social justice, equity, peace, I'm like, sign me up. You know, creating better opportunities for folks that are on the margins or that are on the outside. That's Dr. Gloria Howell from the local MLK Commission. It's not just one day in January. These volunteers work year-round to build a better Bloomington. Hear more about civic engagement through public service on local boards and commissions later in the show on a new episode of Activate. But first, your daily headlines. At the Bloomington City Council meeting on June 7th, Director of Public Works Adam Wason gave a report on the city's pavement and sidewalk conditions. We're talking about a field reconnaissance data collection project that we uh, contracted for in 2021 and had completed in 2022. Uh, The first year that we had ever done a a data analysis like this was 2017, which was a big first. Uh, Prior to using this more technological way of analyzing our streets, sidewalks, and curb ramps, uh, that was all done manually in the past. So we literally had city staff drive, try to analyze, and give a very um, subjective review and rating for all of our city streets. Um, IMS, our contracted vendor for this work, utilized a state-of-the-art road surface tester, RST, um, and throughout the city to capture continuous high-resolution pavement cracking, rutting, and roughness data on our 237 237 center-line miles of our asphalt roadways. Wason presented on the state of road surfaces in Bloomington, and the condition of the pavement was delineated by Pavement Condition Index, or PCI. As previously mentioned, every square foot of road surface in the community was measured and analyzed on a 1 to 100 ranking scale. While I'm sure the red poor rating on this chart is going to be the most noticeable visual in the chart, some perspective needs to be taken into account of where and why this figure is so high. Overall, 37% of the city's road network is in a poor or very poor condition, but 53% are in marginal, fair, good, very good, and excellent conditions. The next slide will also provide some additional information and perspective on which types of roadway classifications fall into the various condition categories. And this is where the perspective is really important. Uh, Overall, our network is at a 52 PCI. Our arterial roads, the roads that have the heaviest traffic volumes, are at a 56 56 PCI. Our collector roads, which are the next most high volume roads, are at a 54 PCI. And our residential roads, um, which receive the lowest amounts of traffic, are at an overall 49 PCI. So again, the most highly traveled roads are in the best condition in the community. The most um, low volume roads tend to be, uh, have the poor or very poor rating. Um, Next, Uh, overall, our current annual budget of roughly $700,000 dedicated to pavement and preservation um, will not not, uh, be enough to sustain the current 52 PCI or move it up. 
Uh, to keep a steady state PCI, we need to increase that funding to about $1.1 million year, uh, dollars per year to um, <clears throat> get to an uh, PCI average across the entire city of 55, that would require a $1.4 million annual allocation for, budget, uh, for budgeting. But there is some other good news here. Um, between the Community Crossings Grant Program that we have leveraged since uh, 2019 um, and with some uh, additional requests for one-time spending, we are hoping to um, be able to meet at least that $1.4 million annual investment, if not more. Next, the Council discussed Resolution 23-09, a resolution endorsing Indiana to pass legislation to establish a driver card for undocumented Indiana residents. Office of the Mayor Chief of Staff, Josefa Madrigal, presented the resolution to the Council. She explained that the Office of the Mayor received information from a nonprofit, La Voz Unida, which asked the city to pass the resolution to support state legislation to allow undocumented immigrants to get a driver's license. I do want to share that the Office of the Mayor received a packet of information about um, this supporting a resolution for um, Indiana, in undocumented Indiana residents um, by La Voz Unida. La Voz Unida is a nonprofit agency based out of Plymouth, Indiana. And um, a representative, Ed Rodriguez, is here, as well as members. I also want to acknowledge, and I did tell them, um, there's also several of our community members who are here who are also um, in support of this resolution. So, Madrigal outlined the benefits of passing the resolution, explained what the driver's card will not do, and shared that 13 other municipalities in Indiana have passed similar legislation. The Office of the Mayor supports and endorses this resolution. In last week's press release, the Mayor, um, Mayor Hamilton mentioned, the passage of Senate Bill 248 will be a good, will be good for communities, good for the economy, and good for the dig dignity of our friends and neighbors. I want to share information of what um, this driving card does when a person has it. They can safely engage in basic essential needs. Um, they can buy groceries or going to food pantries, and I can tell you that food pantries is one of the aspects that I'm familiar with when I encounter most of our community members locally here in Bloomington. Um, this will enable them to go to work and from work, also transferring their children, transporting their children to and from school if the bus is not able to come pick them up. They can access Healthcare, basic healthcare, um, and then it will boost state revenue through fees associated with obtaining the credentials. I do want to mention what this driver card will not be able to do, and that is they will not have access to vote. Um, they won't have access to federal federal assistance and or claim. They will not be able to claim citizenship or lawful residence. I do want you to know that the currently 20 U.S. states enacted this um, similar legislation offering driving cards to undocumented residents. In Indiana, at least 13 other municipalities have passed similar resolutions in support of drivers, driving cards for undocumented Indiana residents. Our community contributes, our community contributes to 
countless ways, in countless ways. And one of them, there's several, but one of them that comes to mind um, is the fact that they do pay taxes and they file taxes. Um, and this is just from previous employment that I've had in working with the Latino community, our local Latino community here in Bloomington, um, calling, scheduling appointments to file taxes. And again, we all pay taxes. The driver's card will ensure that all drivers in Indiana roads are trained. So they will be able to take this written test at the BMB, pass it, and then take this driving test at the BMB, pass it, and then be issued a driver's, driver's card. Um, they will be certified, as I mentioned, just going through the training, taking, do, going through all the prerequisites as needed to have and obtain a driver's card. And also, once you have a driver's card, they will be able to access car insurance. During public comment, Indiana Senator Shelley Yoder asked the council to approve the resolution to pledge support to the legislation. Good evening. I'm Shelley Yoder, and I have the incredible honor of serving you in the Indiana State Senate for Senate District 40. And I'm here and rising in support of, of your approval and support of Resolution 2309. Resolution 2309, um, it just is a reflection of the amazing work of uh, what we're hearing and what we're seeing today. Over the last 13 years, it has been, the efforts have been somewhat successful, but they were uh, correct that they tend to die in the Indiana State Legislature. But the efforts are bipartisan, and I want to reiterate this. This is not a partisan effort, this is a bipartisan effort. And each year we get a little closer. And going back to a grassroots effort and, and taking community by community, city by city, town by town, and asking for the support in these resolutions is a brilliant idea. I commend your work uh, because I can see how uh, getting, getting bipartisanship support through our communities is the way to get this passed. Res a resolution that would support driver card legislation makes our roads safer, and it makes good economic sense. Individuals who qualify for a driver's a driver card are our colleagues, they are our employees, and they pay our taxes. They pay taxes. They are also trying to get to their jobs and trying to get their kids to school. It's the right thing to do, and we can support good public policy by supporting this resolution and doing what we can here in Bloomington to raise awareness, number one, and encourage that kind of dialogue with our legislators across the state of Indiana. And one last thing, if you're sitting there and wondering if the Bloomington City Council does something, what does it harm the efforts that we're seeing here? And I want to say first, no. I think it only encourages greater engagement throughout Indiana on this issue, because as I've said it repeatedly, this is a bipartisan e effort, and I think one reason why it fails is people just don't understand it, and education is the way forward. So please vote in support of this resolution, and I look forward to continue to work with 
uh, the residents throughout Indiana making sure this happens to make our streets safer and good economic policy. Thank you. The council passed the resolution unanimously. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on June 14th. At the Bloomington Utilities Service Board meeting on June 5th, before approving the standard invoices, board member Jeff Eamon asked about Davy Resource Group Miller Showers dredging permits. Assistant Director of Environmental Programs Catherine Zager responded. I have one on page 4 of 8 for Davy Resource Group Miller Showers dredging permits uh, for $2,000. Um, a couple questions there. One, is this, uh, t does Davy Resource Group help us prepare um, dredging permits? Is that, did they? Catherine Zager, Assistant Director Environmental. Uh, yes, uh, Davy is contracted with us to help us do the 401 and 404 permitting for the Miller Showers dredging. Um, that is uh, their first invoice for the early coordination and wetland delineation. Eamon followed up by asking why they need permits in the first place. Zeger explained what the permit is for. So IDEM requires us, or DNR, I'm not sure which, requires us to get a permit to dredge a pond that's, that's an artificially built pond um, that we built for <laughs> trapping sediments for our stormwater. Yep. Uh, so it's actually the permit is not for the action of dredging specifically because we are we are looking at ways that will have the least disturbance, especially because of the surrounding park. The permit is for the discharge of the dewatered sediment back into the creek. Next, Assistant Director of Finance Matt Havy discussed a customer refund. We installed the um, the uh, meter reader. Um, the meter. Yeah, meter. Uh, I think it was in 2020. Um, it was set up to read 10 times the amount that it was actually using. So they've been paying for 10 times the amount of water ever, ever since that meter was installed. So we went back and um, looked at all their usage and all the rates at the time and everything and um, needed to give them a refund. And they said they wanted to check for it instead of just carrying a balance for it. A board member asked what caused the inquiry. Javi responded. They have a new facilities manager that was looking into utility bills and said there's no way we were using this much water. And then we did, we did our research and there was no way they were using that much water. And so we fixed the meter. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. The board approved the refund unanimously. Next, Director of Utilities Vic Kelson gave an update on the budget. There are a couple of things to discuss. I think the biggest one is... Uh, besides the budget, uh, the um, when we did the rate review for the stormwater fee last year, the big pro biggest project was the Clear Creek Tunnel uh, headworks up near the IU campus. Um, that project is <coughs> the updated engineer's estimate is almost three times the engineer's estimate that we used when we did that rate review, and the rate review contemplated us paying for that out of cash. So instead, it looks like what we're going to have to do is, is, um, is do some sort of bonding for that project and just combine some, the CI, some CIP items and delay some CIP items so that we can get that project done in 2024. And that bonding would happen 
uh, before the end of the year so that the project could start in beginning of next year. The board agreed to discuss more at a future finance subcommittee meeting. Kelson said the budget should be finalized around the end of July. The next Bloomington Utility Service Board meeting will be held on June 20th. In today's feature report, Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin provides updates on the city's plans to relocate Bloomington Police Headquarters to the Showers Building and the redevelopment of the Hopewell neighborhood. We turn to Dave Askins for more. Headline. Showers West Prep for Police, Hopewell Owners Rep, two RDC projects take steps forward. At its Monday meeting, Bloomington's Redevelopment Commission took incremental steps on two of its projects. First, the RDC approved a $479,000 contract with U3 Advisors to serve as the owner's representative for the redevelopment of the Hopewell neighborhood, which is the former site of the IU Health Hospital at 2nd and Rogers Streets. On a second item, the RDC approved a $100,000 contract with Axis Architecture for some preliminary design work on the western part of the Showers Building, where City Hall is located. It's the portion of the building that is the planned future home of Bloomington's police station and fire administration. The design work is for the part of the Showers Building that Bloomington purchased from CFC Properties in early 2023. The purchase was funded out of the proceeds from the issuance of $29.5 million worth of bonds, which was approved in late 2022 by the City Council. The bond proceeds are also supposed to pay for the remodeling that will be required to accommodate police operations in a more than 100-year-old building. But the RDC's Monday resolution approved the use of $100,000 in TIF, that's Tax Increment Finance, revenue, to pay for the pre-design work if it is necessary. The resolution is worded in a way that indicates it is not already decided that TIF revenue will be used. Quote, if needed in the discretion of the Bloomington controller, consolidated TIF funds may be expended up to an amount not to exceed $100,000, end quote. The contract with Axis Architecture says the preliminary design work is supposed to be complete by September 1st, a little less than three months away. At Monday's RDC meeting, Assistant City Attorney Larry Allen said the work to be done by Axis would include 3D mapping of the building. He described it as about 30% of the total design. Allen said that Axis had already scanned the building to create 3D models and would now start designing the interior, including potential entrances connecting City Hall and the newly acquired portion of the building. The administration is referring to the part of the Showers building that it purchased to house Bloomington's police station and fire administration as Showers West. Responding to questions from RDC members about the timeline for the final design work, Allen said, quote, we're trying to be as aggressive as possible, end quote. He continued saying, quote, there's the hoped for timeline and there might be the realistic timeline, end quote. The administration's hoped-for timeline 
would probably mean early fall, Allen said. He added, quote, a realistic timeline may be anywhere from early fall to early next year, end quote. Allen said there would be some back and forth depending on potential additional needs that get identified in the process and the needs that the police department expresses during the process. Quote, there's going to have to be some allowance for time just for the back and forth, Allen said. The vote by the city council to purchase Showers West was split five to four. One reason that the city administration would like, if possible, for the construction work on Showers West to start before the end of the year is to ensure that the project is underway before Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton leaves office. He did not seek re-election. As it currently stands, no other candidate besides Democratic Party primary winner Kerry Thompson appears on the November 7th ballot. She's expected to be Bloomington's next mayor starting in 2024. The fact of an upcoming transition in the mayor's office got some explicit discussion at Monday's RDC meeting in connection with the $479,000 contract with U3 Advisors. The contract approves U3's role as the owner's representative for the redevelopment of the Hopewell neighborhood. RDC member Deb Hutton noted that there is a clause in the contract that refers to current Deputy Mayor Mary Catherine Carmichael as a point of contact for U3 advisors. Quote, in the performance of U3's work, U3 agrees to maintain such coordination with the city as may be requested and desirable, including primary coordination with Deputy Mayor Mary Catherine Carmichael or her designee as the city's project manager, end quote. The choice of the person who serves as deputy mayor is up to the mayor. Given that after January 1st, Carmichael might not be the deputy mayor, Hutton wanted to know how that clause in the contract would be interpreted. Allen told Hutton that typically that situation would be handled by giving written notice with the new person's name and contact information. Allen indicated that the RDC would be kept apprised of those kinds of notices. RDC President Cindy Canarney scrutinized a couple of different aspects of the deal with U3. She wanted to know how U3 is planning to bring local developers into the mix. Canarney said, quote, I'm curious about U3's commitment to engaging local developers and local partners. Obviously, I think that's incredibly important as we move forward on such a profound community endeavor, end quote. Responding to Kinarni was U3's Todd Stern. Quote, I can't think of an engagement where we've been involved in developer procurement where we have not reached out intensively to local developers, he said. Stern continued, quote, To me, one of the keys to success is to have a mix. It's essential that we have the local players who know this market, who have proven experience negotiating transactions with the city and with the state, end quote. Stern added, quote, I also think it's important, though, to look outside the municipality, to look statewide, to look regionally, in order to create as much momentum and excitement and sense of competition amongst the developer respondents as possible, end quote. Kinarni also wanted to see a provision added to the agreement that would require regular updates from U3 to the RDC about the project. The motion on the RDC's adoption of the resolution was made by Randy Cassidy. Cassidy's motion included the caveat, quote, 
subject to the reporting aspect so that the RDC is updated in regards to ongoing communication, end quote. At Monday's meeting, the RDC got a reminder of sorts that the new nonprofit formed by the city, which is called City of Bloomington Capital Improvement Incorporated, would start playing a role in the Hopewell project. The reminder came from Deb Kuntz with JS Held, which is the project manager for the Hopewell project. Kuntz described how for the last two years, a team that is internal to the administration has been meeting about the Hopewell project. Kuntz listed out the group as including Jeff Underwood, the city controller, Alex Crowley, the director of economic and sustainable development, Larry Allen, assistant city attorney, John Zodi, director of housing and neighborhood development, AKA HAND, John Hamilton, the mayor, Mary Catherine Carmichael, deputy mayor, among others. That's the group that has been steering the day-to-day activities for the Hopewell project, said Kuntz. Some of those responsibilities of the internal working group would be transitioning, Kuntz continued. Some of them would be taken over by U3, but some of that work would also be taken over by CBCI. Kuntz allowed that CBCI does not hold the contract with U3. The RDC does. Kuntz also noted that it is the RDC that owns the land. That means the RDC's involvement would be maintained, said Kuntz. Dr. Gloria Howell talks about our local Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Birthday Celebration Commission. It's not just one day in January. These volunteers work year-round to build a beloved Bloomington. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or by emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, I'm Gloria Howell from the MLK Commission. The King Commission is a group within the city of Bloomington that is a volunteer organization, 100% volunteer, and it's comprised of community members who are passionate about the ideals and the uh, work that Dr. King did during his lifetime and really want to preserve his legacy. So whether that means social justice, community service, helping humankind in general, we are a 12 month a year commission. It's not just, oh, MLK's birthday. That's a common misconception with our group is that they think we only do one thing out of the year and that's in January, but we do things throughout the year. Um, so in addition to hosting the official City of Bloomington celebration, um, we host something that's called 40 Days of Peace. And that's a very much a community-oriented type of initiative where it really looks like what the community wants it to look like. So 40 Days of Peace, um, we see it 
a lot in schools, in our local schools. So we go into the schools and we actually have volunteers in the community who can sign up to be a part of that initiative. We train them and we place them in different schools so that 40 Days of Peace, which happens from MLK Day, all goes all the way through Black History Month. During that time, we're spending time in the different local schools that want to participate. Anytime somebody says MLK, social justice, equity, peace, I'm like, sign me up, you know? So I am all about doing those things because one, it's just the way I was raised. Like I was born and raised in Mississippi. So I grew up, you know, around folks who were passionate about just being kind to people and creating better opportunities for folks that are on the margins or that are on the outside. And, you know, my family has benefited from folks who who helped us, you know, who assisted us with that. You know, we grew up in a poor community. This is like my my personal way of giving back. Being in commissions or being a part of commission work like the MLK Commission um, and all the other commissions that we have, it's special because not every city has those types of things. And it's very accessible. And that's what I love. I didn't have to be you know, raised here or born here to be able to get to know the community, because that's one thing that brings us together. And I think that's what that's the essence of of the King Commission. It's about something that's common among everybody, no matter what you look like, no matter what side of the tracks you're on. It's about doing the work that all of us can do. So that's why I seriously love the commission. It's one of my favorite things to be a part of in this city. There's several ways that folks can get involved with the King Commission. So One is, not sure if folks know this, but our commission meetings are open to the public. We have public comment and you can, you know, get up and talk during the meeting. That's one way to get to know us. We meet um, on the fourth Wednesdays of the month um, at five o'clock over at the uh, city hall. We're usually in the McCloskey room, so you can just come and join us. And also, We have opportunities, like when there are events that happen, we have a social media page, we have a Facebook page that's pretty active. So you can follow us. You can like our page, which is the um, MLK Commission. You can search for us. Also, you can go to bloomington.in.gov and just simply search MLK Commission. And we're listed there with all of the other commissions. And you can find out our meeting times. You can even read our minutes if that is your pleasure. The website to find out more about the MLK Commission and all of the other city commissions and coalitions. It's bloomington.in.gov. And you'll see a tab on that page that says commissions and coalitions and just click there and you'll see the listing. You'll see the contact information and that's how you can get in touch with us. Thanks for listening. I'm Gloria Howell from the MLK Commission, building a beloved community. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org.